Welcome back to another episode of The Rest, a podcast where you get to hear the rest of the story and where we continue the conversation that Sunday started. I'm your host, Jared Jacobus, and I'm here with our recent frequent guest, John McCambridge. That's right. I'm assuming that you're getting lots of uh, lots of views from, from getting my, a lot of listens. Yeah, so yeah, that's people why you are keep tuning in. back. That would be my guess. Yeah, a lot of people say that they um, they've switched over from Story Symbol Spirit because <laughs> you've switched platforms. No, that's not true. Go listen. Five stars, <laughs> rate and review. How you been? Good, man. Glad Week to be here, good? Jared. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We uh, we have a, a cool series we're doing right now. Yep. Um, very intentional and also practical mm-hmm. um, if we allow it to be. So I've been enjoying it. Yeah, I've yeah. also been enjoying your prayer class. Oh, good. That is amazing. Yeah. Anyone that's not doing it, you're missing out. Yeah. Just come on. Come on on Mondays. Monday, yeah. 7 o'clock at the church. We're halfway through the Lord's Prayer, but you know every week can stand on its own to some degree. So, so come come on through. Yeah, some is better than none. Yeah, don't tell Emma, but come on through. Yeah, we'll have you in. We'll sneak you in the back. Yeah. All right, uh, we have something really cool coming up this week. We have worship night this coming Wednesday. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have childcare. We're gonna have an amazing worship experience, yeah. and it's a great opportunity that. If you're engaging in this message, you can actually um, put it into practice. Yeah. So make sure you're there. Uh, bring a friend, bring your family. Yeah. Anyone. Yeah, it's very fun and it's, and it's very informal. You know, it's like yeah. a, a little bit different than a church service where there's worship, you know, there's worship singing and praise and then there's a message and then there's, you know, other, uh, other stuff going on. This is very much you just come and there's there's worship music and you're invited to engage with it. And so it's very it's a very fun night. Yeah, really, really uh, impactful and powerful. Mm -hmm. So definitely recommend that. This past Sunday, John spoke on the importance and necessity of song and worship. John gave us four points for why we need to engage in singing to our God. The first point is that we are made to sing to God. The second being God is moved by our singing. Third is when we sing, uh, is that we will sing in the new heavens and the new earth. And the fourth is that when we sing, hell is shaken. Mm. Music brings glory to things, and John provided many references to show that God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit are all musical. He also gave an analogy that the Trinity is like playing a C chord. It's a three-note chord where each note voices itself through the other notes. John gave us several examples of how God shows up in specific areas because of song worship, and that when we sing to God, He draws near to us. If we feel distant from God, the question is, are we singing and worshiping to Him? When we sing to God, we participate in bringing heaven to earth and therefore are fulfilling our destiny. And then John ended with explaining that song and worship is a powerful weapon against the devil and his hosts. That when we sing, we fight the forces of evil and push the gates of hell back. Um, You said something in, I think it was one of our morning meetings a while ago, that uh, like when you're driving down the road and you're belting out lyrics of Mm -hmm. a worship song that you're actually declaring truths of God all around the cities mm. that you're driving through and that um, you're beating down the forces of evil that mm. are residing in those areas. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, you know, um, the, there was a series that Joel did years ago called Words Create Worlds. And what, his reference to this uh, is that, you know, in the beginning, God spoke the world into existence. Yeah. Yeah. And so it is the word of God God's speech that creates the world. That's what kind of power it has. And we are images of God. And so the speech that we have is powerful. 
Yeah. You know, and uh, it's an image of the power of God's speech. And so what, one of the things that that means is that the things that we say and the truths that we declare have cosmic impact, you know? Yeah, that's true. And we don't always think about it like that. And it kind of helps us to understand why, you know, James in his letter says that your tongue is a, is a fire. Yeah. And you can set the world on fire with your gossip. And we kind of think like, oh, come on. Like, that's too harsh. Like, everyone gossips. Everyone talks behind each other's backs. But uh, the reason that James puts it like that is because the opposite is true as well. That when we love with our words or when we praise God with our words or when we declare truth with our words, things are built, constructed. Yeah. You know, uh, and, and, and the city of God is built and constructed uh, partially through our words. And so if you're driving around the city and you're singing worship songs in your car, you're like declaring uh, the truth of God in song, uh, then, then to me, because of the power of words, the, those words and that truth is like going out over the city and washing it. Yeah. Or going out over your family and providing a protective covering. Yeah, that's awesome. And, and declaring to our enemy what, what is true. Yeah, it's wild to think that such like an easy thing mm-hmm. has so much power to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and like you talked about gossip, um, like gossip is essentially committing murder because you're changing the image of someone in someone else's mind. Right. And the um, antithesis of that is true, that if you're building someone up and like showing how amazing mm. someone is, someone else, you're mm. you're like creating a new person Absolutely. for that person. Yep, yep. So, yeah. It's, you know, it's like our actions, because of how powerful an image of God are, everything, including our speech, is either constructive or destructive. Yeah. So we kind of have this really bad uh, tendency, I think, to think that most of the things that we do are neutral. Yeah. Right? Not really that big of a deal, probably not that good, and probably not that bad. And I think that because of, you know, at least because of the image of God theology that I've been exposed to, the opposite is actually true that the, yeah. the the actions of our life and the words in our life have ripples beyond what we could possibly imagine. Yeah, they, Way more powerful they echo out forever. Yeah, forever. You gave a really good analogy of the Trinity um, that much like a musical chord, each being of the Trinity brings about the fullness of the other two. Mm-hmm. Um, wh- where did that come from? Do you remember? Yeah, so actually um, a, a lot of this biblical theology of song and music comes from uh, a place called the Theopolis Institute. Okay. And so um, there's a guy named, uh, uh, I believe his name's Alistair Roberts, and then um, James B. Jordan uh, and Peter Lightheart. And, um, you know, they, they, they have this series on their YouTube channel called The Theology of Music. And a lot of, a lot of uh, what I referenced kind of came from my, from my study of that. And, one of the things that they were saying is that, you know, it's, it's, it's classically hard to come up with analogies for the Trinity. Yeah, for sure. Because our earthly analogies fall short. Yeah, we're right? finite. We're finite. And, and so language is approximate, especially yeah. when you're talking about the things of God. Um, and so, you know, we have these analogies that we try to help people understand how three things can be one, but not three separate things being one, but three things that are united in essence, but still somehow have separate personhood. Yeah but then they're also because of their unification always one. Yeah. So like one of the tricky things is like uh you know the son is never acting alone. Yeah. The son is acting in concert with the father and the spirit because they're essentially united. 
And the same is true of the spirit and the same is true of the father. And so even when we talk about father, son, and the Holy spirit, we always try to, our, the temptation I think for us is typically to separate them. Yeah. Right? The father's like this, the son is like this, the spirit's like this. Well, we see things like that. Like you, you know, there's like one single entity right. of everything that we experience. So right. if we try to think of it as like a combined essence, we still can't yeah. fully grasp that. Yeah. And it's tricky. And so one of the things that's interesting about the musical analogy of, of like a three note chord is that in that chord, it's one single sound, but it is three notes. Yeah. So it's not three notes. It's, it's more than that. Yeah. It's, it's one sound that is comprised of three notes and all three of those notes, it's not like a one third, one third, one third. In yeah, terms like they of, each are, are Yeah, in terms of playing. the sonic space, yeah. all three notes fill up the entire sonic space simultaneously, and that's what makes the sound. Yeah. Um, and then on top of that, the 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 note that's being voiced is actually voiced through the other notes. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. And so the E is voiced through the C and the G, and the G is actually voiced through the E and the the C and and, and et cetera, et cetera. Um, and so I think that that's, that's very, uh, approximate to how the Trinity is, right? Yeah. Because, um, you know, I heard uh, actually James B. Jordan from, from the same Institute, Theopolis Institute, uh, when he talks about the Trinity, he says, one of the things that's true about the Trinity is that everyone in the Trinity is always saying, look at, look at the other ones. Oh yeah. So the father is saying, look at the son that's and the spirit. And the spirit is saying, look at the father and the son. And the son is saying, look at the father and the spirit. Right. Um, and so this is that that is that is very much what's happening in a in a three note chord right the c is being voiced because the e and the g are saying look at the c yeah right and 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 all of the other combinations as well yeah that's really cool i think we should spend a little time talking on the musicality of the nature of god yeah. um before hearing this message i always thought of music as like a human creation mhm and that that we then used it to express ourselves, express ourselves in worship and yeah. entertainment, enjoyment. Um, so I find it really fascinating that music and song were actually brought into the creation story from the very beginning. Mm-hmm. Do you have any? Um, do you have any wisdom on like the origin or like the nature of music being more than just a human discovery? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think that you know, the world tends to be musical, you know, you, you kind of go outside and if you allow yourself, you hear the rhythms of the world, you know, you yeah. hear birds singing, you hear wind, you hear trees rustling, you know, there's, there, there are ideas that, that there's a song that the universe sings in terms of actual vibrations that, you know, because we're immersed in it, we don't notice it, yeah. but it's happening at all times. Yeah. And, and so then, um, what humans do, and this is actually first mentioned in Cain, the, the lines of Cain in, in Genesis 4, is that one of the things that Cain creates as culture begins to be created is musical instruments. Oh, really? Yeah. And um, so so when we talk about the role of a human, we, we often talk about dominion and kingship and the fact that humans are supposed to put our hands on the world and change it. So the world is musical. And one of the things that the image of God does with his image of God powers is we put our hands on something like wood and horse hair and we create 
instruments, things that can make beautiful sounds. Yeah. Right. And so actually that is a very, very good picture of what dominion is because you can have a moment that is powerful with speech and with clapping and with, with, you know, singing, but that moment becomes all the more powerful when there's trumpets and harps and what the Bible calls lyres and, you know, uh, cymbals and drums and all this stuff. And, and so, uh, yeah, I think that like, um, the world is musical and the world just in and of creation itself is glorious with music, but then the image of God takes the world and can move it from glory to further glory. Yeah. So that's when we put our hands on the world, we make music, we sing with our voices uh, and take this glorious musical world and make it more glorious and more musical. Yeah. I heard something that kind of blew my mind a while ago. Um, I think it was in a sermon that uh, if we weren't limited in what we could hear, the, that light is on the radio spectrum mm. and the sun and stars would be singing to us. Wow. And that just like, that really blew my mind. Yeah, yeah. That there's like so much out there that we can't really fully experience, but yeah. it's happening. Yeah, one of, uh, I actually learned this about uh, men and women, that men and women are actually have uh, uh, somewhat different you know, hearing faculties. Okay. And so there is actually biological truth to the fact that like men aren't very good listeners. Yeah. Uh, it, only in the sense, uh, mostly in the sense that there are, there are frequencies that the typical female ear can hear that the typical male ear cannot hear. Uh, yeah, got you. And so there are, and so my point in that is just, if that's true of just the difference between men and women, imagine what is available that, that our faculties just can't hear. Yeah. Right. Like imagine what sounds are being made that we can't pick up on just yeah. because, you know, the the eternal, infinite glory of the world, like not all of that's accessible to us. Yeah. yeah. I, I often experience that because um I'll I'll just like out of the blue, my wife starts a conversation with like, you never listen to me. <laughs> <laughs> And then you're like, what? Yeah, I don't know why it's like, what'd you say? Is that the first thing that you said to me? I've been speaking to you for an hour, Jared. (laughs) You spoke uh, specifically to the men in our church, saying that there needs to be a shift in how men see praise and worship. Yeah. So I came from uh, what I would call a typical fatherly scenario where my dad would rarely engage during worship on a Sunday morning. And I specifically remember seeing him and coming to the conclusion that praise and worship was optional Mm -hmm. and that it really wasn't for me, Mm -hmm. Um, which is like a pivotal understanding for men that like specifically fathers to know that their engagement or lack of engagement directly affects their kids' relationship with God. Yeah, yeah. Did you have, so did your parents go to church? No, I didn't grow up going to church, so... um, you know, but but I also, you know, I didn't grow up in a musical family at all. Oh, really? And so there wasn't much singing. There wasn't instruments. There wasn't learning how to play music. I don't yeah. think any of my, me or any of my siblings know how to play any instruments or, you know, it was very much like a sports athletics oriented family. And so um, we kind of missed out on on some of that, like what I'll call human development, right? Yeah. And, and we all we all have things like that in our lives. Um, but, you know, there, there's a couple things going on with this. Number one, I think, that um, there's a level of engagement with God that is a little bit less intuitive for men than it is for women. Yeah. And here's, here's why. 
because the analogy of Christ in the church is that he is the groom and we are the bride. Oh, uh, yeah. So as males, we are the bride of Christ as a church, yeah. right? Well, that's not a necessarily instinctive, intuitive role for us. And so there's a certain element of vulnerability, of, uh, uh, you know, um, uh, bride-like qualities that we have to come to uh, an acceptance in, in terms of our relationship with God, that's not easy. Yeah. Uh, or at least it's less intuitive, right? It's yeah, less instinctive for, sure. for us. And uh, so, so that's already a barrier. And then a lot of times, you know, because it's an industry, music making, even in the Christian world, skews towards females because they're the ones who engage with it. Yeah. Right? So it's like, um, so it, it leads to a phenomenon that I sometimes jokingly talk about, which is that there's a lot of worship songs that fall under the category of Jesus is my boyfriend. Yeah. Right. Which because of the bridegroom bride metaphor is not completely inaccurate, but you have to understand as you know, if you're the ones who are kind of trying to engage people in something like worship singing, that if that is the main tenor of what you're singing about, there, there's going to be, it's going to be difficult to engage the men. Yeah, that's true. That's very true. But there are songs and there is singing in the Bible and there's a lot of classic hymns that are very much, you know, declarative chants about yeah. the strength of God and the victory of God and the holiness of God, and the majesty of God that uh, in my opinion are, are very masculine. And we kind of have to regather that into the church and lead our men to sing because, um, you know, I, I think what I said on Sunday is that if, if you choose not to sing, you're choosing to, to not pick up a weapon. Yeah. And what we see in the scriptures is that the weapon of song casts out demons, shouts down the devil, um, uh, breaks Paul and Silas out of jail. Yeah. Right. Like, uh, it's, it's a weapon that, to choose to not pick it up is essentially to forfeit um, an opportunity to engage in, in the battle, right? Yeah, that's really good. And, uh, you know, when people get baptized, again, like this isn't always clear. And so we try to make it clear at our church because we do like a baptism class. Yeah. But when people get baptized, you know, it's not, this is not, this is not a declaration of faith. This is a declaration of allegiance. Yeah. And it is an enlistment into the cosmic war against hell, the devil, and death. And people don't know that. People don't realize that's what it means to, to give your life to Christ. Yeah, it's very heavy. And so when you do realize that, then the question is, okay, what are my weapons? And this is all laid out pretty clearly in, in certain passages in scripture. And one of them is song. Yeah. yeah. Um, when did you have a shift in your thinking behind worship. Like for me, it wasn't until I was married mm -hmm. and like seeing my wife sing around the house, mm. listen to praise and worship in the car and mm. sing along and then being next to her in church and her belting out, engaging worship that like brought me to the point where I then desired it. Yeah. Did you have a similar yeah. experience? Yeah, like, you know, my, my wife, Jenna, um, really enjoys the, the, the activity of worship. Yeah. And did and, she start at a young age? You, um, know? you know, she actually also was kind of like raised outside of the church. Okay. Uh, when we were in high school, we got engaged in young life. 
And then when we were in college, she led Young Life in New uh, Albany, which is how we actually found cool. this church, yeah. a 514 church. And, um, you know, uh, again, like there is something about it that I think sometimes maybe comes more naturally to, to women. And there's also less of a cultural stereotype, you know, um, less cultural tension around something like expressing your emotions through song, right. For, for females. But I, but I remember from an early time in our relationship thinking that, you know, I wasn't really comfortable doing it, but it felt like what she was doing was powerful. Yeah. It felt like her singing was powerful, you know? And I was, I was afraid to engage myself in that way. But, but I remember being impacted by that. And so, you know, some of what happened to me is, honestly, like through my theological education, my understanding of the realities of the spiritual realm and the realities of, of the war that we find ourselves in and the impact of what my sort of image of God theology had on that world and what it means to, to fight those battles uh, is really when I started to really think about, okay, so what am I doing? So when I say, when I stand there and I sing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God almighty, heaven and earth are full of his glory. Who am I singing that to? Yeah. Because I always kind of thought of worship as a tool to grow in faith, right? And that's kind of why it seems optional. Because it's like, yeah, I'm not really taking advantage of this tool and maybe I should, but there's lots of other tools as well. And I'm really engaged in the sermon and I'm reading the Bible and, yeah, and all that that's stuff. That's a good point. Um, and it is edifying to sing those words to yourself and to to the body of Christ. But but that is not the only thing that it is. It's it's also pleasing to God. Yeah. And, you know, I think I said this on Sunday, but but I want my life to stir God's heart. Yeah. And I think that for a lot of, you know, the first six or seven years of my life with God, I wasn't sure if, if that was possible because there's a lot of theology about God being unchangeable and all these things. And, and all of that is true on, on, on certain specific philosophical levels, but you know, as I continued to study the Bible, it was like, man, everything in the Bible seems like the, the actions of God's people seem to move him. Yeah. Sometimes in love and affection and like pleasure. Yeah. And sometimes in wrath and judgment. Not so yeah, not right? so good ways. But it is actually the 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 words, the conversations with people like Moses or Abraham, or it is the songs of the priesthood when they build the temple or the songs of the prophets as they prophesy that actually like stir the heart of God. Yeah. And, you know, this is probably like within the last two years, as I kind of think about the mission of my life, there's lots of things I want to do with my life. And there's lots of ways that these things can be accomplished. But one of the things that I want is I want my life to please God. Yeah. That's a really good North Star. Yeah, it's, I, I want my life to stir him. And I think that the Bible says that it does. And singing is one of the things that seems like connects us to God, draws us close, and stirs his heart. Yeah. So, um, you know, that was a long process to come to that understanding and then to connect it to song and and, and praise. But, yeah. Uh, you mentioned theology. Theopolis Institute. Yeah, Theopolis Institute. Can anyone access? Yeah, yeah, that? Just, yeah, yep. So just get on Google and search it. Uh huh. So so it's very liturgical, and so it's a little bit different than our expression in that sense. Uh, when they talk about music, 
quite frankly, they're talking about chanting the Psalms. Yeah. So it's a very liturgical kind of old school thing. But uh, their biblical theology is what I'll call it is is um, par excellence. Yeah. In 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 terms of like what's available out there and accessible. Uh, a lot of what I well, a lot of what I do on Story Symbol Spirit is take some of the the hermeneutical strategies of James B. Jordan, who's a part of Theopolis yeah. Institute. And, you know, I dive into his resources for before every podcast. And so I'm trying not to just just regurgitate his yeah. stuff that he's already for done. Sure. But he is one of the biggest influences in terms of that. And so they have all these themes. You know, right now I think they're going through a theme on their YouTube channel about hospitality. Okay. And it's the same type of thing where they're they're kind of demonstrating the biblical examples of hospitality through yeah. through the scriptures, and that, that that's what they did with music. And that's cool. Um, they do that with with uh, like like uh, I think I did, I did a message on bread and wine. Yeah. One time for communion, which I think everyone should go back and listen to that. Yeah, that was like very interesting and very cool. But that that's you know that was the the foundational understanding of all of that. It was something that James B. Jordan taught on. Yeah. Because it is interesting. Um, sometimes, so, so this is the way I usually think about teaching. There's two ways to teach and they're both good. One of them is you want everyone to walk away with one specific thing that they can remember and apply to their life. Yeah. And that means that you have to be narrow in the way that you teach. And repetitive. And repetitive. And really focused yeah. and sideways energy from that is going to draw away from what you want to happen. Right. The other way is that you want to teach something broad. And so you demonstrate the importance of it by referencing many, many, many examples, yeah. many demonstrations of this in the Bible or in church history or whatever. And so the point of that, like, so when I'm, when I'm talking about singing, the point is not for people to understand exactly what's going on in second Chronicles when the fire of God comes into the temple. The point is just that that is one of the examples that I'm listing of how God responds to song. Yeah. So if I wanted to teach a message on second Chronicles five and the fire of God in the temple, I wouldn't, I wouldn't do what I did here. Yeah. Right. I sure. wouldn't just casually mention it and move on. But um, when you pair, you know, that with Paul being sprung from prison and, you know, these other examples of God being stirred by song, yeah. it paints a picture or, or puts together like a mosaic of music stirring the heart of God from, from the scriptures. And uh, that, that to me is, a, is one of the ways that you can show and demonstrate um, biblical truth that, that should be lived out in our lives. Yeah, that's powerful. Um, something really cool that not a lot of people know is that uh, the Psalms and hymns, a lot of modern songs use mm -hmm. old Psalms and hymns. So we're singing those. Mm -hmm. And I grew up in a church that, sung hymns mm -hmm. and um, they were still like really really powerful oh, yeah. if you would get into that moment and and actually like thinking about the words mm -hmm. that you were bringing to life in those hymns mm. so. absolutely absolutely I mean I think that some of like I always say that we could go in there and we could play like if we just went in there and played the modern a modern rendition of how great thou art. Yeah. It would, everybody would get all fired up. Yeah. Cause that's a classic old hymn. Man, but, that's powerful. Yeah. Uh, I listened to a song by King's Kaleidoscope. It's a modern rendition of, uh, come thou fount. Yeah. A, you know, the classic hymn is come thou fount of every blessing. And 
you know, it's, it's like powerful. Yeah. There's just like so much truth. Even now, if you, if you dive into the Psalms now, like, so if you know modern worship music and now you take like a couple months and really, really read the Psalms every day and go into the Psalms, you will just keep coming across things in the Psalms. You're like, oh, that's why. Yeah. That's why passion has that song. Yeah. That's where this comes from. Oh, that phrase in this elevation song that it's from, you know, Psalm 92 or whatever. And you're, they don't say that yeah. in, in the song, but that's, you know, that's where it comes from because the Psalms are the songbook of the Bible. Yeah. Great resource for, for singing to God. Uh, let's end with um, spending a little more time on the passage in second Corinthians um, that the weapons we fight with are not weapons of this world but they're weapons of divine power that can demolish strongholds. Mm -hmm. And um, like two really accessible weapons that we do tend to uh, maybe like undermine a little bit is prayer and then song and worship. And um, I remember you saying that like men, when they get fired up Mm -hmm. and they want to go do something for God, And you say, well, come in for two hours and pray for yeah. this community. And they're like, well, you know, what What else could I do? Can I mow the lawn at the church instead? Yeah. You know, like, yeah. And yeah. the same thing with like song worship, right. like fired up. I want to do something big for God. It's like right. come in and worship him and, and sing truths about him yeah. and bring him to this place. And like, you know, uh, is there, you know. Yeah, that's not really my thing. What can I build? Right. Yeah, yeah. And all those other things are good tools as well. Uh, he, you know, yeah, that Second Corinthians ten four passage is one of my favorites because um, what it does. So our weapons are not of this world. On the contrary, they have the divine power to demolish strongholds. What what that does is it 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 basically makes you take seriously the cosmic war with the spiritual powers of evil. Yeah, right. And here's why that's important to me. Because if you think about, it's not just men. This is, this is just because of the culture that we are immersed in. We, when we want to do something or to make something happen, we immediately grasp the physical material realm, right? So this is the power of politics. And politics have bewitched the church. Yeah, for sure. Uh, in this age. And that's because you have, it doesn't matter if, if you're on the progressive side or, or the, the conservative side the reason that we grasp for politics and policy, which is important, but the reason that we grasp at that is because it feels tangible and it feels real. And praying and singing doesn't feel tangible and real. I mean, I've even heard pastors give sermons where it's like, you know, you got to go pray with your feet. You know, you got to go out there and you got to, you got to actually do like, if something's wrong in your life, you don't just sit and pray about it. You got to go like do. And there's wisdom in that. But there's also, that's also not the right way to think about prayer and worship. Yeah. You know, to pray is to do something. And to sing to God is to do something. Now, that should not be the only thing that we do in our life unless, you know, you're called to some kind of monastic life of prayer and, and, and song. But, but those are real things that do real action in the world. And the only way that we can understand that is when we understand that, that, who we are actually at war with is not flesh and blood. Yeah. Politics is a great way to go to war against flesh and blood. Yeah. And that's what you see in the whole, you know, culture war at the moment. And so uh, I heard Corey Russell say this at a conference that I went to. He said that, that, um, um, you know, that there's that Hosea verse about breaking up your 
unplowed ground, your fallow ground, so that God, the seeds of God can grow. And he said that the reason that I know the church is fallow ground right now is because there's a lot of strong opinions and dry eyes. Yeah, wow. And what he means by that is that there's a lot of people who are engaged in a lot of social media about politics and have really strong opinions about Donald Trump and Joe Biden, and they're expending energy on that, and they're doing that, and they are not on their knees in the prayer room. Yeah. Well, what does that tell you? It tells you what you believe, right? It tells you what you believe about what's the actual problem. Most people read Paul's you know, verse at, at the end of uh, um, um, Ephesians, we talked about spiritual armor and he says, our battle is not against flesh and blood. And we're like, yeah, that's true. It's against the devil. And then we go out and we fight flesh and, and blood. Yeah. It's very true. And it doesn't mean that you shouldn't be involved in politics, but it means that your primary engagement as a Christian, if you're going to fight evil in this world is not against flesh and blood. Yeah. And so prayer, music, uh, these are ways that we start to engage with the spiritual realm and the powers and the principalities. Uh, I was having a conversation with somebody about this yesterday, but uh, the reason it's confusing is because in our modern world, this is my, this is what I think is happening. The powers and the principalities that are at war with God, they don't typically manifest themselves in a explicit spiritual yeah, moment. That's very true. Right. There is possession and there are people who, who, who see things. And uh, I believe in that. And, but that tends to happen more in cultures that, that aren't as modernized. Yeah. Right? There's a reason for that. It's because our modernization alienates us further from the spiritual realm. Yeah. And so what ends up happening is that those powers and those principalities map themselves onto the, the systems the other, of this yeah. world. And their interaction with you is through the systems. Right? So when you think of, uh, you know, it is very possible for you to get on Netflix and to behold things with your eyes for hours and hours and hours that that tear you further from God. Yep. I'm not saying that's what always happens on Netflix, but that's possible. Okay, so what's happening in that moment? Yeah. We kind of want to say, oh, just, you know, culture has shifted. And so like, we're sort of like going down the stream of culture. And it's like, yeah, but what, what power is behind that? Yeah, what's steering it? Well, why is it shifted? Where's it going? It's going away from God. Okay, so who's taking it away from God? Yeah. Who's moving it in this direction? And so we have to understand that like even our interactions with institutions and things of this world, that that institution is is a buffer to what the real power is. Yep. So there's there's something about your life if you want to engage in in you know battle for God where you have to choose who you're gonna fight. And for me, I, I kind of want to fight the source. Yeah. It's not that I'm not gonna engage in the other stuff. I will, I will vote. And, and, you know, I will, I do care about policy, but that's not my primary engagement. My primary engagement is to, you know, go into our auditorium at 830 in the morning and, you know, worship God and, you know, pray down the devil and declare yeah. the truths of God. And so, you know, th those are choices that, that we have to make, but singing is one of those weapons yeah. that can engage the spiritual realm. Right. And something we need to prioritize. Yeah, I think you so. You know, we need to prioritize how we're um, engaging and interacting in the world yeah. so that we don't get uh, swept up in the lesser of what's really important. Yeah, totally. Well, appreciate you having on. 
having you on today. Yeah, of course. Um, we appreciate all of you listening along as well and engaging your desire to learn more about God and the wisdom He has for you. We can't wait to talk with you next week. Carmen will be on here, and we will be talking about her message in part two of Hallelujah on the Rest. <laughs>